0: Welcome to Bite Size Dental Marketing. Today, I have Dr. Alan Stern. Dr. Stern, from opening a practice years ago to becoming a coach of, of life change and better, richer, stronger, keynote speaking, we were just talking about highlight reels on the pre-show. Your highlight reel looks amazing. <laughs> I, would, I would love to hear about your journey through dentistry and what led you to today. Wow. You got six hours? I got, I got all, the, all the film
1: we need. First of all, Eric, um, I can't thank you enough for this. As you'll see my story evolve, I'm living a dream right now. I'm living a dream. It didn't happen easily, but man, I'm here and I'm loving it. I am the son of a Holocaust survivor. My mother was my hero. My mother ingrained in me her belief that Jewish people were put in this world to suffer. How could she have known any better? When you're loaded onto a cattle car with your parents and separated from them at Auschwitz, knowing that they died and you survived, how can you think differently? And I was also emotionally stomped and abused, not by my hero mother. But that combination led me to something that I thought was unique to me, but is really out there in dentistry, and that is a lack of self-esteem. So you go to dental school. I went to dental school. I went to Virginia, Virginia Commonwealth University. Graduated a while ago. And uh, in 1981, and if you're not prepared, dental school can be very, very tough on your self-esteem as it was on me. And so I emerged from dental school with three letters after my name, but really not a high opinion of myself. I worked as an associate for five years and I had the same ego bashing for those five years. So I decided to open up my own practice from dead cold with nothing. Outside of my restrictive covenant area, I didn't want anybody bothering me legally. I worked six days, three nights. I worked three days in my office. I worked three days for a corporate. And my son had just been born. And my wife and I opened our practice together from scratch. It was just her and me at the beginning. So we worked very, very hard, very intensely. And finally, the practice grew that I could be on my own, hired a nice little team. And it stayed a small practice. God knows I tried to grow it, Eric, but I couldn't. You know why? Because it wasn't me. In my journey, I discovered who I am professionally. And I am the solo practitioner. I'm the beloved doc. I'm the guy who spends time with people. I don't have very many patients, by the way, Eric. I have friends. And that's how I developed the practice. And however much money I made or didn't make is the monetary
0: reward that my practice spiritually rewarded me. As you talk about your journey, there's a book that I've recently stumbled on by a South African by the name of Boyd Vardy, and it's the Lion Tracker's Guide to Life. And in there he has, there's a couple of things that you touched on, you know, and he said, that the trail is about following it and picking up signs and too often in, in, we get in our own way on picking up signs of where we should be. Yes. The biggest takeaway, he said, you know, is if you close your eyes and you picture your life and you look out at what you what you should have and what you should have, and, you know, you really close your eyes and envision it. He said, that's not your journey. You're looking at someone else's journey. And by definition, you're now comparing yourself to that journey, that your journey is in fact behind you and you've yes. not made the decisions of where your journey should be. And it's such a powerful message to me that really resonated. And I wish, you know at forty eight I feel so much different than at twenty eight and, and I'm sure at sixty eight i 'll feel different but it's one of those lessons that if I could go back in time and talk to the younger me, I wish I would have learned to be more genuine in, in the moment versus compare myself to people that had a ten million dollar agency or a 20 million dollar agency and, or you know whatever whatever it was there was there was always there's always someone out there who has more than you do to compare yourself to and that just is such an insidious concept of what other dentists are doing. and You see it all the time.
1: Yeah, that you comparison know? trap is poison, and it got me for a long time. I was living in a, a nice income in a starter home, and I decided that, no, a guy of my degree should have a bigger house in a prestigious neighborhood. After all, I'm a dentist, Eric. I'm a doctor. Mm-hmm. Alan Stern, I make miracles with these little fingers. I deserve it. And so I did. And I bought a house. I engaged the, some of the consultants and financial advisors and, yeah, marketing agents and management consultants that the big boys were using because I want to be a big boy. Dot, 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 where it landed me was a quarter of a million dollars in debt with no increase in income to pay for it. It landed me with a house that I really love, but the payments were sucking the life out of me. And then the universe spoke to me. Actually, the universe was a, a great financial advisor after I, I got rid of the one that me, led me down the Primrose path. And my dear friend, Jim DiNardo, who is old enough to be my son, suggested I sell my house. Me? 30-year practitioner? Me? Look at the numbers, Al. And so I did, and I sold my house. Thank God I'm married to one of the greatest, low-maintenance, decent human beings on, in existence. And she rolled along with me. She's been at my side. It'll be um, married 46 years in a couple of days.
0: Congratulations. Wonderful. Five
1: of the best years of her life, by the way, I'll tell you that. I cried. I cried for weeks. But all of a sudden, my cash started flowing again. And we had money. And I stopped really biting my nails whether um, Eric, who needs a ton and a half of work, would accept treatment from me. The world didn't come to an end. If Eric said, I'll think about it and went somewhere else. And I go into your point. Eight months after I sold my house, I was running on the boardwalk here at the Jersey Shore. And I distinctly remember running north, looking out to my right at the Atlantic Ocean, and this thought flashed in my head. I have more money, no matter what, than most people in the world could imagine having. And I have less than some. And And it's not that I am inferior to the teachers. Who project their beautiful work on these big screens and I used to beat myself up over it because I wasn't them. It's that they make me better. And I realized the true joys of my life, my marriage, my kids, and my friends were there in abundance. Hence my book, Enjoy the Ride, because that's what I said to myself. Mm-hmm. And that was the tipping point that started this thing called Better, Richer, Stronger, where I can now take all of the lessons, all of the assault and battery that were were inflicted on me that I inflicted on myself, and really take my colleagues, especially the young ones, and put everything in perspective and encourage them to grow and learn and understand that their work is special. If you're doing, if you're doing fillings all day, if you're, if you're working in a Medicaid clinic all day serving the underserved, if you're in the military, if you're at the highest level of cosmetic dentistry, your work is sacred and it's special and no one else can do it. That's what we have to do.
0: Is that the biggest challenge you see facing dentists today, that they don't really value the work they do? or, or what, yeah. what do you see out there in the industry? And in
1: the profession.
0: The profession. <laughs> I see. Excuse me.
1: Uh, yeah, what I see is people being great people who are very educated, very well-trained, being devalued being objectified. And the profession, the trend of the profession, as we talked about before, it's a race to the bottom. And as we start to be devalued, and we get it into our own hands, we all of a sudden are A, comparing ourselves to what we think other people are. B, we expect perfection, which is an impossible goal. We fail to realize that all we are here to do is get better every day and give every human being our best effort. And we we fall into this trap that we're just kind of like crafts, life, licensed craftsmen. Damn, Eric, we are doctors. We've forgotten the meaning of it. We're healers. We're put in a position of trust. You know, you've been through a lot of dentistry. I've been through a lot of dentistry. Mm-hmm. You're laid out in, in a supine position, opening up. A very sensitive part of your body to somebody with sharp instruments. That's trust,
0: and and even the the physical proximity, the intimacy of how close they are, and the you know the the chair sides on one side and the doctor's on the other. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's 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 incredibly personal.
1: Yeah, it's violating your personal space, and we don't recognize that if an individual that we're serving gets angry or cops an attitude, that just means they're scared of something. And what I I didn't know this when I was a young practitioner, I was playing defense all the time, whereas we need to align ourselves with that scared human being and find out what's causing them the fear, then we become really better doctors. That's when we we evolve. From this thing, this object called a provider, which is one of my dirty 30 words, to a, a, a physician, a healer, recognize that role and play it with everything you got.
0: As you talk, it, in my, early in my career, I worked for Procter & Gamble and they're not, when you think of Procter & Gamble, you think of the brands. They actually have one of the most powerful marketing departments. Mm-hmm. In the world, and it's because they know their consumer, and they know that you know where a twenty-two or twenty-three-year-old might be worth two or three hundred dollars a year to them. A mom of three or four kids who lives this lifestyle and volunteers here, and you know. Gives her time to these sort of missions and goes to church. She might be worth thirty five hundred or four thousand, and then mm-hmm. they, they know they're a consumer. And most of the advertising that you see is very purposefully written around the emotions of that consumer. And they're happy to take a man forty year old man or twenty eight year old or twenty three year old female buddy, of course. That, that, They really honed their advertising into this golden mom concept. If I had a magic wand, that is the one thing I wish I could talk to every dental student, every young dentist about is, you clinically think you're great, and I'm proud of you. You should. But that is not what a consumer sees. A consumer sees this very narrow band of performance between a great dentist and an average dentist. They do not know that the band is actually massively. Yeah, But in that band, I've had in my life, I'm 48, I've had, I think, four dentists. I cannot tell you which one's clinically better. I can't tell you how each of them made me feel. And I can tell you, and I will tell you, how clinically good I think they are based on that emotion. And that when the average rank-and-file consumer comes into a practice, we are seeking an emotional connection with that dentist. And then we are putting the clinical perception of how good they are on how strongly we feel emotionally about them. And that's the thing I wish I could impress on them. I cannot sell a set of prepless veneers. I cannot sell crowns and and implants. I can't sell your connection with the patient. And if you can connect with them at at a human level and make them feel heard and make them feel safe and make it feel like they're in your corner and you're, you're in their corner, you'll be able to sell all the dentistry in the world. Mm-hmm. But telling me I need a crown here, when you're doing three hygiene checks and you're trying to see 80 new patients and you, you spent 30 seconds with me and bounced out, I, I, man, I, I am probably going to go somewhere else to someone who takes the time and sits down and gets to know me as a human being because I want that connection. You know,
1: I have a request. If I'm hired for a keynote and I'm not feeling well, could you come in and sub for me because you've got me line by line? Yeah, you you really get it, Eric. You know, I think in our training, we're, we're taught how to be good mechanical dentists. And by the way, dentists suffer from this ego bashing so badly. The guy who graduates at the bottom of his class is called doctor and has very special skills and should never devalue him or herself even if he, grad, he or she graduated the bottom of the class. But what, one of the things that I teach, preach, and speak about, both to my client base and to my patients, the pe- my friends, the people I treat, dentists treat three very sensitive body parts. The mouth, the psyche, as you alluded to, because your teeth, the health of your mouth very much affects your emotional well-being. You know what the third sensitive body part is? Wallet, right here. Wallet, Ah, uh, there you go. And I'm a little bit older than 48. The wallet is a much more sensitive body part at this point in my life than just about (laughs) all the others. And when we tell that to a person in our chair who is counting on us, and if we can empathize with the needs of those three body parts, embracing and respecting all of them, we connect very deeply that we understand that everybody has needs, wants, desires, fears, and limitations. And that's such, they don't teach it to us. And yeah, we're worried about money. We're worried about our personal and professional overhead. We're worried about our technical work. But if we are, as you said, connected to that human being, there is so much joy in that, let alone case acceptance, so to speak, let alone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. selling the dentistry that we in our infinite wisdom know that they need. There's so much more joy. You know, I, I had a woman in my chair a couple of years ago. She's in her 80s, devastated emotionally by COVID. Devastated. Beautiful, vivacious woman in her 60s, 20 years ago, didn't look a drop anywhere near her age. And now is a shell of herself. She broke a crown that I had done for her a couple of decades ago. And she was so scared. But I turned a fearful statement into one of the most inappropriate pieces of humor that <laughs> you could ever hear. And, I, and she started belly laughing. I turned her fear into fun. Got the work done. <laughs> but it was so much fun for both of us. My assistant almost fell out of her chair when I came out with that line. But man, it was a good time after that. Why can't we have a practice that sells joy, happiness, and trust before it sells, so to speak, veneers, crowns, bridges, implants, etc., etc.? et, cetera, et cetera?
0: Why not? I mean, philosophically, I agree with you. Practically, I had a guy on the other day that owns or, or runs a a fairly large private equity firm. And he talked about, you know, Dennis in my era came out of school with, you know, I mean, if you came out of school with $200,000 and that, that was a ton, but they're coming out so much and practices are so expensive. And we hit on comparison earlier, but when you're coming out under that perceived level of duress, I don't know that yes. the duress is actually there. Mm-hmm. I think it's perceived in comparison. I think you just, you have to earn. I, I think there's this yes. like grind to, 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 I need my, you know, 33 percent of the population has peri. I'm going to be diagnosing at 33 percent, and I need to be doing this. And 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 you start getting addicted to these numbers that deny you the heart and joy of your craft. Yeah, and
1: what you're talking about is real. What I'm talking about is not pie in the sky, because there there's always a moment. If you can't look, I'm at a point in my life and my career where I really don't care about running room to room, room. I've got enough. And anything that I earn from the practice now is, that's wonderful. And I also have a certain privilege also because I graduated with $24,000 in total debt. And that seemed like a lot of money back in 1981. It was a lot of money back in 1980, but it is not, you know, inflation adjusted. It's still nowhere near what, what some of these young, young ladies and gentlemen are coming out with. But there are still moments you can capture. There are still moments where you could say, hey, Eric, how are we doing today? Anything on your mind before we get started? Or Eric, how'd we do today? Hey, Alan, we did great. I feel, I feel wonderful. Fantastic. It is so good when you're here. And please tell your friends about us. Th- that takes seconds. And it doesn't damage your productivity. You know, in, in a perfect world, we spend a ton of time with people before we treat. And it yeah. would be the way to gain greater case acceptance but there are always little moments you can seize
0: that remind you and the patient that you're good. Now, if you can have a two-minute conversation with yourself 30 years ago, what, what are you saying? Oh,
1: funny you should ask that because I gave a talk last week and I'm giving it again next week. Five decisions I wish I had never made and one that changed my life forever for the better. And knowing what I know about myself now It took me 60 years to figure this out. I think I would, in all honesty, I would have said, Alan, be a psych major because my skills, my natural talent is what you're seeing right now. But I chose dentistry because I was raised to choose dentistry. I was raised to choose medicine. I didn't get into med school. And my best friend's father kind of grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, come on, do dentistry. I love it. And it looked like a great thing to do, and it is a great thing to do, but I had to press my natural talents pretty hard and beyond their limits, and I had some talent limitations in dentistry. But I, So what I would have told myself was, if you're going to go into dentistry, make sure that you know who you are professionally and parlay your emotional skills, your verbal skills, your empathy skills into something very special and and market the dickens out of it. So. That, yeah. that, that's what i would have knowing myself today that's what i if i if i could go back to a uh, 24 year old alan that's what i would have told
0: him that's so wonderful i think that's in alignment of in my career when i am most unhappy i am getting further and further away from the ethos of Eric cupboard i'm signing a deal because i i thought it would be a strategically important move, or I'm mm-hmm. making a decision because you know I, I see cost increasing, and you know I got a notice the other day that our our benefits went up 13 percent or 17, percent, one of the wow. two, and you know that's a big number for an agency that has 22 souls working in it, oh, and yeah. you know it's like oh my god, like I, I you know we should go get some go get some more business, yeah. but the wrong kind of business just leads me very unhappy, and you know I told you on the pre-show. I, the year that I made the most money took a company public had my highlight reel was amazing. I don't know that I have recovered from the family and non-economic impacts of that year. It was incredibly painful. I was incredibly happy. And, but you know, if you looked at my highlight reel, if you looked at social media during my time frame and my LinkedIn and, and it would look phenomenal, but, but I was at my most unhappy that year no. and it was, that was not who I am.
1: Well, what you are now is pretty damn good.
0: I, I'm, I'm, I'm a work in progress, but I'm, I'm working Aren't on we it.
1: All, we all, <laughs> what, one of the real tipping points was when a beloved colleague, a phys- internally and externally beautiful woman, absolutely brilliant. There are some people who walk into a room and the room stops and everybody gravitates toward that person. That person was Andrea Bierman brilliant dentist, 34 years old, had the world in the palm of her hand. Suicide. We are characterized, um, we're blemished by a propensity to depression. And the end point of untreated depression is what happened to Andrea. And when I saw that happen, a series of events occurred. I made a series of phone calls saying, what do we do about it? And I wound up at the Pankey Institute where I studied. At their alumni meeting, and myself and my friend Jim Otten, who's on the board at Panky, we gave a talk, a tribute to Andrea's life, and a research project on depression and suicide. And we discovered that reality, and we transmitted it to our colleagues. Four people came up to thank us. Four out of about 150 of the most overachieving dental practitioners in the world. Serious people. Successful people. And it made me realize that I have a gift, and that I emerged from the depths of hell. But for the grace of God and a world-renowned therapist that I met, I did not sink into depression. And I learned how to manage it. And success, what is success? Success is getting more and more of what you want. But you have to live within your own integrity. You have to know your core values. And you have to make sure that they're weaved together properly in a fabric. Mm-hmm. That envelops you and that you project. So, one of the things I'm teaching dentists now is to connect with their core values and merge it into their vision of what a practice is like, even as an associate, as an employee dentist, or as an owner dentist. Find your niche, find your sweet spot, and then expand your comfort zone within your own values. It is so so important
0: yeah i i think that finding your niche and you're going to find your tribe and the connections you make along the way are so powerful and yeah study after study says that it's it's the connections the the spouses and the best friends and the coworkers that we enjoy that lead our quality of life and you know my dad used to say there's no bump beds in the graveyard you're going to die alone yeah so you should make those connections along the way because that's You know, those are the things you live for, and that's what you have. But
1: make make no mistake, Eric. I worked my Mm. off for the first ten years of my career. I was killing myself because I had to, and I was young enough that I could handle it. And I rolled with the adversity, and I let it. I just played it through because I did what I had to do. But for the young docs out there, or even the middle aged ones who are struggling, we got to understand that everything that happens, we are exactly where we're supposed to be at any given moment. But if you look carefully at your journey, and if you look carefully at some of what you think are the adverse things that happen to you, they really are learning experiences and just another couple of rungs on the ladder to where you're going. And you can adjust that ladder. You could steer, you could detour on that highway as long as you know yourself and know what it is you want so it, it's very important to understand that the, your journey and mine have not been you know smooth sailing along freshly right. paved roads there's cobblestones and and potholes along the way
0: where are you going next where's your next keynotes what do you where do you go from here what's oh, man. what's next for know. alan stern um,
1: Right now, I am, um, next week, I'm speaking up in Portland, Maine to a group of young dentists doing my five, uh, my five decisions talk. I will be at the Dental Festival in New Orleans. I will be at the Greater New York uh, speaking for Benco. And I am reaching out now. I, I want to do study clubs, small groups, small interactive groups. That's where I'm at my best, where I can really put myself out there like I am with you, like you have with me. And thank you for that and really interact and give my material, but also be open to questions and I'll give them honest answers.
0: That's wonderful. I strongly believe that in 2024, our company is going to do an event and I'd love to have you down for it. It would be a privilege.
1: When we get off the air, I'll tell you a little bit more about what that would mean to me. By the way, I've got the book. If we're on video, you can see my book behind me. It's called Enjoy the Ride, but I see it backwards. And my second book is coming out soon. It'll be a mini book called Destination You, Wit, Wisdom, and a Glass of W-H-I-N-E. Alanism number one is show me a person without stress and I'll show you a cadaver. It's a batch of those phrases with some very serious points attached to them. But I I would be honored, and I would just chop the bit to speak for your organization. I I think I'd love it, and I'll give your your audience something really cool.
0: No, thank you, and and I'll be sure to link out to your site and and your books in the in the show notes here. So, but Alan, yeah, thank I, you so much for jumping on the show and for sharing, and just the the heart, and the emotion, and it shows in everything you do, and uh, I I love. Learning about you on your site and and talking to you today has been it's been wonderful for my soul. This is a
1: dream come true
0: for me, Eric. This is a dream
1: come true. And at age sixty ten, I sir, am just getting started. Watch me go. And um, I'll take you with me, ma'am. I'm I'm glad to have you with me.